we were getting on. And I was talking about uh, our Sunday night service here. And he says, wow, that's booking the trend. Um, and it really is, because um, for all sorts of reasons, um, Sunday night church, I don't say this in any critical way, has become uh, something that people aren't doing as much in different parts of the country. But it really is fantastic to be here. And not only to be here, but to have a great vibe, to have a great expectancy, uh, to have a great passion for all that God wants to do. So just a couple of things before we come to the, to, to the word tonight. Firstly, an announcement. <clears throat> and uh, it's really by me, but uh, in relation to Christian. And uh, several months ago, just to preface that, our church, Arena Church, belongs to a national network of churches uh, called Assemblies of God, which is a, 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 the largest Pentecostal a group of churches in our country, and it's part of the sixth biggest denomination in the world. And a hundred years ago, this very year, 1924, in Aston, Birmingham, Assemblies of God was formed as God began to pour out his spirit in a restored way right across the earth, America, Scandinavia, Europe. God began to do something. And uh, people had to sort of pay a great price, uh, which we must never forget about. We can't live there, but we must never forget that uh, and we must always honor the price that was paid for the for the experience of the fullness and baptism of the spirit the consequence of that is that people found themselves uh, establishing churches with uh, a spirit emphasis and uh, numbers of churches came together for friendship for fellowship and we thank god for all that he's doing in the earth today friends just a hundred years after that restored outpouring of the spirit there are estimated to be and this is uh, not my estimate but it's by uh, people that uh, observe and commentate on these things across the world, Pentecostal and charismatic believers totaling 550 million people in the earth. That is only God's. And uh, we need the Spirit of God, as Christians reminded us again today. And uh, as we waited upon God on Tuesday uh, in our prayer encounter tonight, what a wonderful night. Numbers of people baptized in the Spirit. And remarkably, on a Tuesday evening, four people got born again, which is absolutely incredible. And uh, so we're believing that God will just continue to move. I say all that because we're happy to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And we thank God for what he's doing. And several months ago, our national leader, John Partington, who's a friend of this church, and many of you know, spoke to Christian regarding some new initiatives regarding church planting. And deep down in John, in his apostolic gift, he's an evangelist. He's planted churches, and he wants to see us increasingly be, in a renewed way, a church planting movement. So he asked Christian if he might consider bringing some lead to this, acting as a catalyst and a spearhead. And Christian prayerfully considered this. He spoke to myself and shared it with the elders and felt that he was able to respond with a ready yes. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. So just to let you know that from National Conference this year in May, which is fully booked out, Christian will seek to gather a team to propel church planting in a new day and in a new way within the context of AOG. He will be the Assemblies of God Church's National Church Planting Director, which is fantastic and I think worthy of a round of applause. <laughs> and Christian, we're praying for you. And uh, Christian's at pains tonight to ask me to emphasize that uh, although there will be some time demands on it, this role will not, underlined in any way, push back on his time, his commitment, and his visionary leadership to Arena Church. Because Arena Church wants to continue to be a church-planting church. And we pray that as we do that, we'll encourage other people to do likewise. We pray for you, Christian, that it will be amazingly fruitful. 
I was just thinking, I didn't mention this today, but I was just thinking of some of the things that you've shared in terms of your story, even in recent times. And I was thinking about it this week. And I really do believe that you have been positioned by God for such a time as this. I think God's seen your heart. He saw you as a young boy. He saw your responses. He saw your passion for evangelism. He's seen sometimes that it, you felt that you were far from where you'd like to be in all of that. But God knows everything. He knows seasons and times. He knows tests and trials. He knows everything that comes to us to shape us for what he's called us to be. And I really believe it's part of the bullseye of God's will and purpose for your life in these days. And just to say also, friends, that within the context of the wider area, um, we, you may not be able to give four days of your time and go to our national conference, but you can give half a day up. And on April the 5th, Saturday, April the 5th, just a month away, we've got our central area, Stronger Together, one-day conference, which we do annually. It's being held at the wonderful center at Coventry. You can be there in just over about an hour and ten minutes, legal. And um, so, some, of you, some of you do it under an hour, you know, but... Uh, but, um, but uh, we've got John speaking. We've also got the newly appointed senior leader of Christian Centre, Nottingham, Malcolm Baxter, with us. And we've also got five stronger breakout sessions, which will encourage worship, uh, uh, youth, leadership, mission, and devotion. And we've got people speaking into all those during the day. So it's right across the age group. It's got a full kids program. If you want to bring your children and give them to a fully qualified and authenticated kids group workers for the day, it's 9.30 till 4. It is a ticketed event because uh, for a small cost, because we're providing lunch and all of those things. But there's some leaflets on the table. And if you'd like to come along, if you put your name down, we'll, we'll make sure that you get all of the details. And we'd love you to be part of that and part of the bigger central area family on April the 5th. I believe in the day and I believe it's going to be a great day. Thank you. So there's some wonderful things to share. And uh, for a moment or two tonight, I want to just uh, bring us a word which continues with this series that we were pointed together, uh, Christian pointed out earlier, going forward together. And um, as you know, last week we had Team Challenge with us. What an incredible gospel sharing night. Good news. That The thing that impacted me is that when I was driving home and thinking this week, I was praying for every 13-year-old kid I could think of because all of those lads that got in trouble didn't get in trouble at 18, 19. Did you hear last week? They got in trouble at 13, 14. And uh, by 17, 18, some of them were wrecked nearly beyond ruin. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It turns people's lives around. If you're here tonight, and for whatever reason, we don't say this with any judgmentalism, but somehow your life's got off track. You've got stuck into... Uh, uh, You've got ingrained into stuff that's hurting you, harming you, that you feel that you can't live without. The good news of Jesus is this, that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And you can be totally changed and turned around for the glory of God and living for a purpose, which is him. So uh, we had a two or three weeks before that. And uh, Lucy, if you could just put the verse up that um, we've been particularly looking at, which is Philippians 1 and verse 27. And... Uh, if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to it, or you may just want to read the verse. Uh, Philippians 1.27, it says this, Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, here we go, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. Some translations say as one man. Generic term, of course. For the faith of the gospel, that whole sense of standing 
together that we might go forward together. And one of the verse for you to think about as we come to tonight's subject, Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 says these words, So then, each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so what we've been doing um, uh, as we've uh, been journeying in this uh, this particular season, and, and, and don't forget we had a great night with stories that live as well, didn't we? So that was just fantastic. I want to present these nights uh, where uh, things can just be declared in an amazing way. But we've been running, we've been weaving into all of that, this little series going forward together. And what, we've, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take all of some banner headlines that were written by a, uh, an American writer, uh, teacher, lecturer, author, called Patrick Lencioni, where he's written about Things that cause teams to dysfunction. And when I talk about teams now, I'm talking about the church. You could apply the team to a work context. Uh, You could apply it literally to a a team that's operating in a particular expression of team. But in this instance, I'm talking about the church. Arena Church Mansfield is a team. There are different players in different positions. But the reality is that we all need to be kicking the ball the same way down the field. Otherwise, we've got a problem. And as Christian alluded to in prayer tonight, we're not speaking about this because we think there are great problems. But what we want to do is we want to become stronger in our togetherness so that we might go further in what God's called us to be. And we need to do this together. And when we began to think about these five banner headlines that Lencioni talked about, we began to realize why most teams don't talk about it. One, they're quite difficult to teach on. And that's the reason that very often many churches don't address them. And therefore, they get used to dysfunctionality. Going back to this person I mentioned earlier, I don't think I mentioned where he came from, so we'll keep that anonymous. But they had an issue in the church. And I said to him, I says, why why is it that that issue was allowed to continue? He says, the problem was, Phil, we got used to it. The abnormal became the normal. The dysfunctional became the functional. The problem was never addressed until they could go no further. And so we tried to set a scene with this going forward together by bringing some principles out of Philippians 1.27. And then Christian addressed the, the base foundation of it, absence of trust. If there's no trust, I tell you, I come across this so often. If there's no trust, I'm going off to see a church on a Thursday night in April. Pray for me. I won't tell you where that is either. But I want to tell you, friends, this church has got so used to politicking and firing bullets at each other and speaking disrespectfully to one another, they think that's how you do church. And they're saying, we're doing so much evangelism and nobody seems to be coming in. You bet they're not coming in because healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And if there's no trust, we're forever second-guessing each other. Oh, why, why did they do that? Why did they say that? Where's that going? How's the money being spent? What are you on about the offerings? We never get anywhere. Because when trust is low, progress is torturous, friends. We never get anywhere. And the cost is here. Forever having meetings. Because somebody got offended about something that was said. put something on Twitter this week where William Barclay says, touchiness may not be the greatest sin in the world, but it's often done the greatest damage to the church. And non-trusting people are incredibly touchy. We need to get over it. And then the fear of conflict. How do we do? We don't look for conflict, but sometimes it emerges. 
And how do we deal with it so we don't do that, but we do that? In other words, we find a way through. I don't want to repeat the outline of that, but simply to say the bookends of that sequence were Christ-likeness and compromise. So you can see we're not talking about belligerence or arrogance. And tonight, for a few moments, I want us to talk about accountability and how it's not to be avoided. Accountability. So then, each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. If we are to be an incredible, functioning, fantastic church team, we need to know how it is to live accountably. And I want to say, friends, that I find this verse is often misused and misquoted. Because people claim to be accountable when in actual fact they're accountable to no one or nothing. In other words, their language is, no one's going to tell me what to do. But the definition of accountability is that we are responsible, that we are liable, and that we are answerable to people. And before I just get to talking about accountability for a few moments, I want you to recognize it's got a bedfellow. And this is why accountability doesn't work. And it was interesting because I knew when Christian was praying tonight that he'd not thought about what the ministry was going to be. It was just that God was bringing it together. But if you listen to his preamble before the prayer tonight, he talked about exercising authority. And if we are to be an accountable people, we need to understand what it is to live with authority. This is why lots of churches dysfunction. And it's why they have no spiritual authority. Because they are not coming under any authority. I want to tell you, friends, those sorts of churches are easy pickings for the enemy. They really are. He's not bothered about those churches. But when churches rise up with an authority that is invested in them because they are coming under authority, then the powers of darkness begin to quake and shake and church begins to make inroads into the communities that it represents. Now, of course, God has all authority. It's reflected in his strength, in his, in his rule, and his, in his ability. But you need to recognize that as God has got all authority, so he delegates authority into the earth. He, he, he designates it to people. When Jesus came to the earth, Jesus was the savior. He was the pattern and he carried authority. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 29, there was authority in his teaching. And boy, we need that. I went somewhere recently and he says, do you want a stool at the table? He says, because I give talks. He says, well, I ain't giving a talk. You know, I mean, I'm not against talks, but this is not a talk tonight, friends. This is something that I want to come with authority. I'm not saying a talk can't. But the reality is I want to declare the words. I don't want to talk about God. I want to confront us with God. I want us to be changed and impacted. And Jesus taught with authority. Jesus also ministered with authority. Jesus forgave with authority. And Jesus had purpose in his life that was reflected in authority. Interestingly, if you read the Gospels, the so-called authorities of the day, the religious leaders railed against his authority. And let me say that the religious spirit hates authority and will always rise up. But the reality is that that opposition to Jesus didn't re reflect a submission, but it reflected a rebellion that was reflective in their lives. And we live in a world, friends, that stands often against authority. Little wonder sometimes that we have an issue with it 
in the church. But the Bible tells us in Romans 13, for example, that God's delegated authority into the earth. He delegated it to society. And there are civic authorities that God has delegated that make life work. Let me make a confession. I was driving to rehearse for my dad's funeral last year. And my head was all over the place. And I drove through a red light. I didn't realize I'd done it until I got a letter a few days later saying that that's going to cost you uh, three points on your license. But if you come and do this red light course, it's going to cost you 92 quid. Um, then you can not have the three points. I didn't even know I'd gone through the red light. I was thinking about all sorts of things. But the reality is, friends, I could sort of say, well, I'll go through red lights when I want. I'll do what I want. I'll drive how I want. But also, I've got 12 points on my license, and that means I'm banned, and I can't do anything. You know? In other words, God's delegated authority to make the roads work, to make society work. And often when society doesn't work, it rails against authority. God's given authority into the home. God's given authority into the workplace. God's given authority into the church. He's given authority. And it's what we call, Christian talk this morning about dynamis as an expression of power. But the other word for power in the scriptures is more accurately translated authority. It's exousia. It's the delegated anointing. It's the delegated mandate of God to make things work. Let me give you an illustration. You're driving back down the A38 tonight. Maybe sort of going towards the M1 or whatever. And all of a sudden you decide you're going to get out of your car and say stop. And the next thing you're in Kingsmill Hospital, nearly dead. Because Christians just drove over you, okay. (laughs) But one of those guys in a uniform puts his sort of flashing light on and decides to turn his car horizontal across the A38 because there's a problem and does that. And guess what? Everybody stops. Because all the delegated authority of the crown is invested in that guy that's bringing some sense of order to the road situation. Let me give you another example. This afternoon, uh, there was quite a big rugby union match took place and England beat Wales 29-18. How about that? And if you're Welsh tonight, apologies. Please come to Arena Church next week. Okay, it's not personal. But the reality is that these guys are big, big guys. And there was a graph in the press last week about how the rugby union player has got bigger and bigger over the last 20 years. And so now these forwards are often 17 and a half stone. I don't know what that is in kilograms, but it's a lot. And they're normally 6'4", 6'5", so they're about here and about there. And the impact on them is incredible. But normally the referee's about 5'3", 8 stone went through, and clearly could never be a rugby player, so he's gone for the next best thing. He's a ref. And in rugby union particularly, there's an incredible understanding of delegated authority. It's incredible. Less so in football. But in rugby union, there's this incredible ethic of delegated authority. I saw it again this afternoon. He just sort of blew his whistle. He told this guy he was messing about to clear off. And they're like lambs in his hands. Because he's got all the authority of the World Rugby Football Union back in him. Delegated. Tonight, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that God has invested authority into us to become the sons of God. You're not some sort of failure. You're not useless. You're the sons and daughters of God that are called to live for him. And to make life work, God has invested authority into the church. It's often been misrepresented. 
And if I can say it, friends, with candor tonight, it's sometimes been misused. But that doesn't mean that there should be no use for spiritual authority in the church. You see, the church recognizes that it's not of this kingdom, but it's of another one. The kingdom not of darkness, but of light. And we only live with accountability when we recognize that authority has been released over our lives. In Matthew chapter 8, there was a Roman centurion that came to Jesus, and his servant was gravely ill, dying. And he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know what it is to exercise authority. He says, I know what it is to come under it as well. And those of you that have been in the armed forces would resonate with all of that. Some of you have exercised it, and some of you have come under it. He says, I get all of that. And he says, Jesus, I recognize that you carry delegated authority. So all I want you to do, Lord Jesus, is just say the word. That's all you need to do. And I'm confident that my servant's going to be healed. And Jesus says, I've never come across faith like this in all of Israel. Go and your servant will be made well. The interesting thing to me in all of this, friends, was that the result of submission to the delegated authority that was released in the earth, brought a miracle. And we've got people sometimes that live in rebellion and want revival to come. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If I can use a personal illustration for a moment, and please hear me carefully, because I don't want you to think in any way, shape, or form, I'm speaking with any sense of arrogance, but I carry delegated authority. For some reason, God took hold, of this, took hold of this council house kid from Nottingham and made me a gift to the church of Jesus Christ. I'll let you decide what it is, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, but somewhere in there, I think I've got something that God's given to me. It's not of me, it's of him. It's not because I'm good enough, because I'm not good enough. It's not because I'm clever enough, because I'm not clever enough. It's not because I'm rich enough, because I'm not rich enough. God has just sovereignly given something to me to exercise authority. I exercise it in the church. I exercise it in my area leadership team as we seek to bring together the central area. But I also submit to authority. Listen to this. I submit to the authority of the elders of Arena Church, to Christian, to Paul, to Steve, to Andy, and to Neil. And here's the truth, friends, that out of relationship, if I acted inappropriately in the church, or said something that was untoward from the platform, I give those brothers the right to bring me to book. I'm not here tonight doing my own thing. I am not here tonight with a cavalier attitude. I am not here tonight strutting my stiff. I do it under authority. I also come under the authority of the national leader, John Partington. I don't go to his meetings kicking and spluttering. What's he on about? I submit to his authority, his his visionary direction, his leadership. And in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Gavin and Glenda Williams with us. And I encourage you to be with us on that Sunday night. They're a great couple with a great teaching gift uh, that I met over 10 years ago now. They live in Australia. They've had a different spiritual journey to me, but they love the church. And they're impassioned to see people come to mature discipleship. And I know some of you know them, and you'll be blessed by them. And if you can get to that morning, by the way, we've kept it brief, two and a half hours, 12 prompts. They'll just sew something in. And by the way, breakfast is thrown in on that morning at, 10, at 9.30, so uh, it'd be great. But 
I've heard Gavin speak on authority, and it's brilliant, because he'll use something like this if I'm with him. When I go into the leadership schools with him in Uganda, I'm not setting the agenda, because God's delegated the authority into his life. And he carries an apostolic teaching gift in those contexts that is brilliant. Dozens of Ugandan pastors release in the call of God for their ministry. It's incredible. Some of them with so little friends carrying so much. And it's humbling to be there. But Gavin will set me down. He'll send me by email what he wants me to teach on. He's very sort of organized right down to every day. And I go and I serve. I come under his authority. But then he'll say, well, I'm in Arena Church with Phil and Christian. Guess what? I come under their authority. He's not coming here, friends, to do his stuff. He's not going to come in here to make offerings for his own ministry without talking to us. He's not going to be saying things that will draw attention to himself because he submits to the delegated authority of the leadership of Arena Church. That's how it works. It's not irksome. It's kingdom. It's kingdom. And I want to say, friends, if I can say it with grace tonight, so many Christians have got used to living rebelliously. They think that's the norm. And it's not. We live with a sense of living accountably under the authorities that God has placed over us. And this ultimately reflects the lordship of Jesus that sits over our lives. And so to close briefly, three expressions of... The power and the blessing of not avoiding accountability in your life. And I say it, friends, very carefully tonight. If you live in an unaccountable life, you are heading for the rocks. You are heading for the rocks. And in the context of togetherness, here's what it is. First of all, accountability is spiritual. Proverbs 4.23 says that out of the heart come the issues of life. Jeremiah 17.10 The Lord searches the hearts of people. I was talking to our Alison at lunchtime. She mentioned a context. And I said, Alison, it's a reflection of the person's heart. Out of the heart come the issues of life. If you're living with her, nobody's telling me what to do. It's your heart, friends, that needs to be dealt with. Because it's spiritual. Now, here's the truth about authority in the church. It cannot be forced. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be insisted upon. Some leaders would like to, and some have tried, and it will always fail. Because the reality is that the church predominantly operates from a base of a willing, volunteer spirit. We are the few people on arena staff, but in relation to what we do, friends, it's minuscule. Most of the things that take place in arena are on the basis of a willing, volunteer spirit where people are studying, where people are working, where people are also, when able, giving additional time to bring service to the church. Maybe midweek, maybe coming early on a Sunday, maybe the guys in the back office on sound and and, and media, but people are serving. Here's the truth. None of that can be forced. It's willingly given. We have no leverage. Those of you that go to work that have a contract of employment will know that your boss has leverage. Now, it might take him about five million years to get rid of you in terms of uh, sort of HR processes. But the reality is, if you're not coming up with the goods, you're going to get a letter. And then you'll probably get another letter. 
And then you'll probably get an official warning. The reality is that if you don't do your job properly, you're not going to have a job. Because somebody's got leverage. It's not how the church works. The church, friends, is working out of a willing, volunteer spirit. So it cannot be forced, but accountability can be given. It comes from the heart. It's spiritual. Phil Pringle at our conference last year, a wonderful, world-class Christian leader, said if you are talking to leaders, if you're always having to encourage someone to be teachable and accountable, something's wrong. Because it ought to be intuitive. It's spiritual. It ought to be in our inner being. And we sense if we are accountable and if we aren't. Because that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. And it's a great place to be on your spiritual journey. And let me tell you, if you want to exercise authority, God's going to test you as to whether you come under him. He really is. It's not only spiritual, but it's relational. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And uh, accountability cannot be done in isolation. See, again, I've had people say, well, I'm accountable to God. Well, it sounds good, and we are vertical. But not to pushing away, being accountable relationally to each other, if I can say it horizontally. And, you know, this gets tested. And God's trying to dig deep in Arena Church and strengthen. He's trying to bring us to a place, friends, where we can be candid with one another. We're trying to set up some contexts of training and developing leaders. Here's a test for you. How do you deal with your accountability when somebody brings correction to your life on an issue where you think you're an expert? Let me say that again. How do you deal with accountability in your life when someone brings correction to you on an issue where you think you're an expert? Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Because most of us say, who do you think you're talking to? That's my ministry, you know. You, you get on with sort of stacking the chairs, and I'll get on with what I'm doing. But it may be, friends, that it's a word from the Lord for us. It may be that God's using somebody for us to see something that we've never seen before. And we bring ourselves into an atmosphere of accountability that causes the opportunity for us to grow together, and it works well. When we do that, it motivates. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, Spur one another on to good works. I'm not talking about destroying people. I'm not talking about negative criticism. I'm not talking about putting people down. I'm talking about where we spur one another on. But that may mean sometimes that we have to have the occasional awkward conversation. It not only motivates, but it regulates. Because Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful of the wounds of a friend. Have you ever, anybody ever come to you and say, I, you know, I, I really am your friend. And what I'm going to say to you now is really going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt me even more. But we need people in our world, friends, that will speak so straight into our lives that if we're going down a wrong path, it's good if somebody tells us. And finally, it situates... Because notice when Samuel heard the word of the Lord in 1 Samuel 3, he still submitted himself to the delegated authority of the priesthood called Eli, even though the priesthood was corrupt at that time and backslidden. A 
And he, it, it, it situated him to hear the word of the Lord. A young boy that was going to be the prophet to the nation. And I want to encourage our young people because I believe increasingly God's going to give words into your life that are going to situate you for God doing amazing things in your life. They're not going to happen straight away. They're not going to happen next week. But God's going to speak into your heart. You're going to speak, just as God's spoken into Christian's heart on his journey, even as a young guy, and he knew that God had spoken. And God begins to bring these things to birth and to fruitfulness as we go forward in him. Let me give you two examples of relational accountability. Firstly, from Billy Graham's book, The Leadership Secrets, or The Secrets of Leadership. And uh, him and his team uh, put together a manifesto. And he said these words, We will never criticize, condemn, or speak negatively about others. We will be accountable, particularly in handling finances with integrity according to the highest business standards. We will tell the truth and be thoroughly honest, especially in reporting statistics. We will be exemplary in morals, clear, clean, and careful to avoid the very appearance of any impropriety. And over 60 years of ministry, friends, were staying free because they made themselves accountable. The Promise Keepers Christian men's movement in the United States of America, a great movement of tens of thousands of men. And one of the covenant promises is that we will be a promise keeper and we will be committed to keeping vital relationships with some other men, understanding that each of us needs his brothers to help him keep his promises. It's called accountability. It's spiritual, it's relational, and thirdly, it's eternal. Because Romans 14, 12 reminds us that each one of us will give an account to God. <clears throat> I was talking in a leadership context just recently, and I was thinking, boy, I'm under triple accountability. I'm accountable for my life. I'm accountable for being a leader in the church. And James 3, 1 says, I'm accountable for teaching the word. Woo! Not for your salvation. And if you've never been giving your life to Jesus tonight, please... Before you go home tonight, in a moment, there's going to be an invitation. Give your life to Jesus. But for your stewardship, how you've lived for the Lord. And God wants us all to come to Matthew 25, where we steward our life well. And he's able to say, well done, good and faithful. Or if I could put the word there, accountable servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. Going forward not you going forward and me going forward because it's, be, it's going to be jerky. But going forward together, together. It means that we cannot have an absence of trust. It means that in certain contexts, we cannot fear conflict. And by God's grace, he'll give us an anointing to deal with it. And it means that we cannot avoid accountability. Someone says accountability only works if you want it. I trust Arena Church that we'll want it. That we won't avoid it, but we'll embrace it. By embracing its compass of its effects over our lives that are spiritual, that are relational, and that are eternal. That impact the now, but also the forever. And if we do, it will continue to help us to go forward together. I wonder if the guys are just 
jump on the stage and 